Welcome to Rock Steady, an Express North podcast. And now our host, Dr. Fran Bartkowski. Welcome to Rock Steady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. My guest today is Laikwa Nuna Yawar, who is a socially engaged artist and storyteller working in Newark and who I first heard about from one of my colleagues who said, you must talk to Lenny Correa. And then another one of my colleagues said, you must talk to Laikwa Nuna Yawar. And that turned out to be the same person. And um, I'd like to say just a couple more things about Laikwa before we begin our conversation. So uh, our listeners can have a sense of who he is. Um, He is someone who came from Ecuador as a teenager to the New York, New Jersey metro area. He's someone whose work in multimedia is on a spectrum from alienation to belonging. He's been the recipient of numerous awards. I'll just mention in 2019, he received the Moving Walls Fellowship from the Open Society Foundation. He's had exhibits locally, as well as in Argentina, Germany, Puerto Rico, Tehran, if I read that CV correctly. Um, And he is most famously known, I would say, as a muralist. And he has murals also all over the world. We're going to spend some time talking about local ones, but he has murals in Philadelphia, New York City, Ecuador, El Salvador, Paraguay, and also at the Navajo Nation in Arizona. So welcome, Laikwa. So good to be talking to you. Hi, Fran. Thanks for inviting me. Hello, everyone. So tell us this story of your double identities and your chosen name as an artist. That's interesting because um, I think it's uh, a story that I share with a lot of immigrants. Um, you know, this idea of identity, of identity politics, of like speaking about ourselves as like being from here and being from over there and sort of being divided. Um, I think that's something that my name evokes because it does seem like there's two people like being present, right? But in reality, it's like, you know, this idea of legality of a name that I was given at birth and a name that I'm giving myself. Um, and I like that duality. I like that, that, that sort of the power that I find in naming myself um, because I'm given space to the history that was sort of taken away from me, erased by colonialism. Um, you know, a, a indigenous part of myself that is not in my legal name, which is Lenny Correa, which is Lenny is a nickname, like a British nickname. And Correa means belts in Spanish. And I'm that, but I'm way more complex than that. I have like a history of indigeneity that I'm trying to find out. I'm speaking to you in English, and I was born in a Spanish-speaking colonized country. So 
Um, I love that name because it opens up the discussion, right? Um, it opens up the complexity and also I think it brings me closer to a lot of other people that are in my place um, mm. that feel that duality. But at the same time, I will say that the more and more I do this work, the more and more I develop my own idea of self and personality, the more I share this with other people that are in my place, the more we feel like, you know, we don't have to choose or pick between mm-hmm. being and not being, between belonging and not belonging. We can just be our full selves wherever we are at, whatever country we're in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. And is the name you've taken one you completely made up or is it derived from indigenous languages and names? Basically, I started taking uh, Kichwa classes at NYU with this wonderful collective called Kichwa Hattari. Um, and then I started to learn the Kichwa language, which is indigenous to God. Before that, I found dictionaries and I looked up words and I found meaning in them through that way, right? Uh, which I think speaks to, you know, the sort of being lost in the U.S., like being detached from a culture, mm-hmm. not having those connections, right? Whereas in Ecuador, I could have just asked people over here, I had to like find it in a book. So, and, and that speaks to also what happens in the U.S. a lot, which is this creativity that's born out of just not having or like struggling or just having to make do with what you have. Uh, for me, what I had was a dictionary and I just chose those words from the dictionary to sort of create this narrative. Mm. Uh, they mean uh, a person that keeps knowledge. Uh, they mean blood and they mean soul. And I think mm. those are parts of, like the, the the mission of an artist or for me like what makes a public artist like a person that's transmitting or keeping knowledge um that deals with the blood and the soul or like the corporeal and the the spiritual of mm-hmm. society anyway that's how i feel when i'm painting on top of mm. a lift and like i have to deal with people and like open myself up and mm. create these murals and be that sort of bridge so it, it all made sense to me that way. So the local murals, the Four Corners, um, those you've been making this year during the pandemic, is that right? I worked with Four Corners um, Art Project last December, and I made a mural uh, along with a woman, Violet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Kelly Prebert. I am working on a new mural with the Four Corners Project that is going to happen next spring. Um, and I'm doing that with the Invisible Project mm. Um, mm. and Yemi Games and the whole team. So that's coming up. Yeah. So has there been a kind of hiatus in your public work that is due to the current conditions? And if so, what kind of work have you turned to? Mm. Yeah, to be honest, uh, like back in March, I had no idea what I was going to do. Like, you know, when we were presented with this pandemic, the whole idea of not touching or being close to people or 
being able to talk to people was basically what my work is based on. So I had no idea what was going to happen with that. Um, now I think we're all like the whole culture has pivoted. Like we're all trying to find ways of working with that. So recently I've been able to work, for example, with uh, the city of Newark um, to create the latest mural, which is a couple of weeks ago, McCarter Highway, mm -hmm. um, which meant that I ended up collaborating with two artists on a very like close connector connection, right? On uh, a collective of three, as opposed to working with a larger community. So that was sort of like my answer for this. Mm -hmm. And then after that, by being careful, you can still go out, or in my case, I can still go out by myself and make a mural or like have an assistant or have some people come help while being safe from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, what that looks like in the future, I'm not sure, because I used to do a lot of educational workshops and like lectures and all of that. Um, so we'll see. But it's been very interesting to sort of go back to drawing or go back to the studio and practicing those things that I didn't have a lot of time to do or work on because I was traveling for murals and I was putting my body into those communities and putting myself in those communities. Now I can't do any of those things. So I'm just mm -hmm. inside myself, which is something great. <laughs> I'm like finding that super um, fulfilling. How has that transformed your work or shifted it or inflected it? Um, just a lot of experimentation right now and also thinking about, you know, if my role in the public space is one of, you know, like a, like an amplifier or a translator or a bridge to create these messages, um, how can that process still continue? For me, it was just collaborating with, um, not-for-profits and creating posters, like being, like being that visual aid that gets mm -hmm. the messages out. So mm -hmm. I ended up doing some work with the Arambon Community Corporation. I've been working with Make the Road New York and New Jersey and other organizations to like make art for them. Um, and this extends to other projects and, you know, using that experience. I, I, I don't like calling it talent because I think we can all draw and practice that, but I do have more experience and I'm able to do these things. So I've been finding that fulfilling as well, like finding different ways of maybe not getting the same, creating the same art, but getting to the same results. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So reflecting back, if you would, on your formation as an artist, um, I know you got your BFA from Mason Gross at Rutgers in New Brunswick. So you obviously knew by then that art was your path, your road, your medium. Did you always know that? Did you come to know that in your teenage years when you came to the U.S.? How did you, how would you describe your coming to see yourself as an artist and a storyteller? Yeah, that just happened this year. <laughs> well, it seems to me a lot of your art tells stories from what I've been able to see. Yeah, but I didn't know that. Um, uh -huh. A lot of the times I think what's saved, what art has saved me in a lot of ways, it's just mm -hmm. given me the tools to 
or go forward. And I think I've always sort of used it for that. Um, but at the beginning, it was something that I enjoyed, you know, as kids do. Mm-hmm. I just kept doing that. And I'm very happy to have had a supportive um, mother in Ecuador that would put me in like puppeteering classes or art oh. classes and things like that in Cuenca, Ecuador, which is like, you know, a super colonial town, super beautiful. It's like 400 years old. Um, mm. And art is, and art and culture are part of that, like the seams of that city. And I didn't know this being there, but art was all surrounding me. Um, from the cathedrals to like people doing murals on the street and all of that. So that was part of my upbringing and like my sort of um, idea of the world, how I saw it. And when mm-hmm. I came to the U.S., I fall in, it fell into like the classic immigrant uh, first generation plot, right? Like you have to go out there and make some money. You have to um, be the best that you can be, like don't do drugs, uh, be a doctor, all of those pressures. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I was going to do psychology in <laughs> um, high school, ended up taking an art class. And it was sort of my, I don't want to say courageous move, but like I was crazy enough to think that I could do art because I didn't have those examples in my family, right? Like my mother is really good at making art, but she never had the opportunity to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Never had the opportunity to like pursue those creative moments, even though I, see her and she paints and she makes um flower arrangements and he does all this creative stuff i have the privilege to go out there and say i'm an artist because of migration because of going to school um so i wanted to take those privileges and and, you know use them um so it would that was like the first decision to call myself an artist to believe that i could do these things um and then through the through the years just being the practice of trying to keep going and like figuring out what kind of artist I wanted to be, um, how to move forward beyond just, you know, this label. So I'm also giving myself like an immigrant artist, like what makes an immigrant artist different than just an artist? Uh, what makes a male artist different than just an artist? That's um, where I'm at kind of at this moment. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just been that sort of like fuel of, um, curiosity that's pushed me through it Mm. Um, i'm always Mm. curious to find out more or to Mm. find new ways of saying things um and at the end of all of that trajectory i realized that i was doing was storytelling Um, talk more about that please when you said you just have begun to think of yourself that way yeah what shifted so that you now do understand your work as a storyteller I think um, just the opening of my mediums, um, you know, just growing up looking at art in one way. Also, you know, going back to Cuenca and Ecuador and it being conservative sort of culture, I always understood art as it being music and visual art and poetry, right? Whereas we live in a postmodern world where video games are art where podcasting is an art where we can choose from entire histories Mm -hmm. and create new narratives but at the same time 
not having myself represented in those narratives. Um, for example, mm. again, going back to video games or to movies or to culture in general and seeing that what I'm doing is creating uh, visual Im images and um, this sort of imagined worlds in 2D, but that I can also do it in different ways, for example, in virtual reality or collectively with other people, um, or also pushing the idea of what a mural is, that it can be a beautiful 2D monument to people, but it can also live as a website or live as a song or live as a poem and have like this complexity to it, kind of reflecting my and other immigrants' complexities. Mm. I think that's why now I'm thinking more dimensionally because we cannot be held by two dimensions. So I noticed um, that you have a mural in New Brunswick called Across La Tierra and that you have this virtual reality project with that title as well, right? Um, is that part of the move from 2D to 4D? Or could you talk about this project, Across La Tierra? So Across La Tierra is, I don't have a mural in New Brunswick with that. Oh, I could have sworn that was the line underneath it that I saw on your website. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but I have been making murals based around the project. Um, it was a, it's a project that was funded by Open Society Foundations Fellowship, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in which um, I'm doing this sort of expanding the idea of the mural. Um, and one of the ways I wanted to do it was through the storytelling of virtual reality. And I wanted to sort of think about the mural and virtual reality as, a, as an archive to the mural, um, a way to expand um, a collection of narratives, photographs, um, research that I do for a mural, it could go into this virtual reality or into this website. Uh, for that project, I ended up going to Ecuador and sort of researching my family and my history and making murals over there and then getting those sites archived through virtual reality. So mm. this project can actually show you those uh, sites and connect you to my uh, migration story. And it gets more complicated there because I collaborate with my collaborators in the project are also bringing their narratives and they're part of the project. And the whole idea behind that is that migration is, is this collection of narratives and is not, again, two-dimensional. Um, the project itself creates a space for us to like listen to other people and their experiences um, because they're super complex. Um, and that has been super fun. And I'm kind of wrapping up the first stage of that project, actually at the end of the month. Um, and then hopefully mm -hmm. we can create another version of it or just um, bring it out to people, actually, because, you know, this happened also during a pandemic. So mm -hmm. I did a little bit of a showing and I had a lot of beautiful feedback. I would love for this project to also live in, you know, a gallery or a museum as well as actually going out to communities and interacting with people but you know mm -hmm. who knows when that's gonna happen <laughs> not right now that's for sure and the the people you're working with their stories are migration stories from all different 
countries, places? Right now, with the team I'm working with, um, it's mainly Central and South America. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but the idea is to open it up and gather different narratives of migration. Um, I started in Central and South America because of home and friendship. And at the beginning, it was just um, me focusing on my narrative and like seeing the value in that, but also mm-hmm. seeing the value in all of our collective narratives. So the, you know, the whole idea is for it to grow. Mm-hmm. So you started at Rutgers Newark and then went to Mason Gross and then came back to Newark. Could you talk some about how the city feeds your work, how the communities and collaborations you're involved in as a socially engaged artist are dynamically threaded through here where you are now? Mm. Yeah, I think I fell in love with Newark because doing the work that I was doing, you know, making murals allowed me to travel a lot. And uh, after school, I ended up in Asia and Europe. And by taking myself out of the US, I understood the things that I valued. And Newark spoke to those values, which were based on community and this sort of, yeah, again, like kind of courage that people from New Jersey have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because, you know, we are not the center of the world as New York City. So for people to live in New Jersey, it just makes them sort of fearless. And <laughs> love that New Yorkers always know when someone is from New Jersey. <laughs> like they might not respect and like they might not like it, but they respect it kind of. Um, so to me that that sort of fearlessness um mm. was present in Newark um because mm-hmm. we had a community of artists that were out here doing what they believed in right next to the center of the art world and the world in general. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, you, you're not in an island. You can definitely go to New York and be part of those conversations. But there's like a beauty in it, um, a sort of place in New York that I did not find in New York City. Um, I was also raised in New Jersey part of after my migration. Mm-hmm. To me, it made sense to sort of foster this town that gave rise to me, right? Mm. Um, this is where I learned how to be um, in New York City as well. So I like being around here. At the same time, I, going back to my history, I am from two different places. So this allows me also to be that bridge again between Latin America and Newark. Newark also has an amazing um, immigrant community. Mm-hmm. And it's from Central America, from South America, um, from Africa. There's like Portugal. There's so much here. Um, I think it's like a beautiful little pearl um, that I've learned to learn to love more and more. The more mm-hmm. I, the more time I spend here. Um, so it's been interesting, and I also love the continued change and development of the arts and culture in Newark. And I love um, 
being a little part of that uh, with murals. I remember going out to the Ironbound the first few months that I was in New York and telling people like, I will paint a mural for you for free. Like, let's work on this and do it. And nobody being down. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause it sort of becomes this snowball effect. Um, I remember a friend of mine at city without walls helped me do one of the first murals, which was, you know, illegal and, it no longer exists, but that first step mm -hmm. ends up being like me being hired by, you know, City Hall and making these murals now. And that development was this sort of creation of the imaginary of like showing people what could be. And that doesn't just happen. Like that has to mm -hmm. take its time. And I'm very happy about that. What would you like to see happen in your own practice, your own creative life, in the city, in this community where you are so rooted now, after the pandemic, when the world is right side up again, what kinds of things are you anticipating, mm -hmm. fantasizing, daydreaming, imagining? Um, I'm kind of just excited to see Newark, um, the whole, when I was talking about the fearlessness, I think it's also mm. cool because it's a, a conversation that Newark has with itself. Uh, Newark has a voice, um, you know, it has something to say and I mm -hmm. want like, to listen to that. Uh, and I want to be part of that. I want to support it. Uh, I, you can still see it today with what artists are doing, but I can't wait for the, the sort of veil to be revealed and moved um, for us to be able to live our fullest lives again, because I'm very excited for that. Um, it is very excited to be in New York. Uh, I miss all my friends and hanging out with parties and all of that. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna continue. I think that conversation with, it, with itself that is expanding to the world, um, it's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, we wanna be walking those streets again seeing those murals on McCarter Highway at Fort Corners and everywhere else that so much has been going on and will continue to flourish in this, in this ecosystem that is so, so rich. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, well, I am really excited to have had this opportunity to meet you and talk with you and hear about your work. And I look forward to others learning about your work from this conversation. Thank you so much, Laika. Thank you so much, friend. And talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Yeah, stay well and stay warm for the next couple of months. I will. Thank you. Thanks so much. This has been Rock Steady at Express Newark. 
at Rutgers University, Newark. Rocksteady is hosted by Dr. Fran Bartowski. Our engineer is Eric Johnson, and our marketing and promotion is done by Dana Demiani. Our theme music is Rocksteady, recorded by Aretha Franklin, and our outro is an original rendition by violinist Dr. Melanie Hill, a Rutgers Newark professor. This podcast is a project of Express Newark, a Rutgers Newark University Community Collaboratory. Thank <laughs> you.